On this episode, Kelsey ruins my life with Clue. The movie. Not the board game. Or the video game. Or the other video game. Or the VCR game. Or the DVD game. Or, or the, the computer game. Or the short-lived off-Broadway musical. There's been a lot of Clue stuff. Or the miniseries. For children. For children. Or the... Clue Jr.? <laughs> There's been a lot of clue stuff. There's been a lot of clue stuff. Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, a podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like. I'm Jason Edwards. I'm Kelsey Goldman. And today, Kelsey has deigned to ruin my life mm-hmm. with the movie Clue. Yes. Is that right, Kelsey? That is right. I'm you, very excited. You did it with the disc. The DVD that I own. In the player. In the living room. On the couch. On the couch. Get it like Clue. I'm sorry. I'm just so tired. (laughs) So Clue, the movie, Mm -hmm. is an ensemble murder mystery comedy film based on the classic board game, which I have just recently learned was uh, originally called Cluedo. Cluedo. When it was released in Britain. Cluedo. Cluedo. Stupid. (laughs) Clue, the movie, was directed by Jonathan Lynn. British actor, writer, director, and co-written by Lynn himself and John Landis, a director whose contributions to society do not outweigh his many crimes against humanity. Uh, the film stars, and here I've written down throat-clearing noise. <coughs> Thank you, Kelsey. Tim Curry, Leslie Ann Warren, Martin Mull, Madeline Kahn, Christopher Lloyd, Eileen Brennan, and Michael McKean, also starring, if you're being generous, Colleen Camp and Lee Ving. Colleen Camp has a like ensemble part. She's around for Leaving most of the movie. Leaving is more of a cameo. That's true, yeah. <laughs> uh, when Clue the movie was released in theaters, Clue the movie received mixed reviews <laughs> and grossed about $14 million domestically. Yeah. Uh, just short of its $15 million budget. It was a flop. It was a flop. And that's why we're talking about it tonight on The Flop House. <laughs> God, I would kill for them to talk about Clue. <laughs> <laughs> uh uh, well, they probably wouldn't, Kelsey, because as you know, though it was critically not well-received either when it came out, yeah. it has in later years come to be considered by many, including yourself, I would imagine. A cult a, classic. A, a cult classic, yes. <sighs> so, um, just laid on a few, a little more groundwork. I think from now on, whenever we say Clue, it should be assumed <laughs> we're referring to the movie. Unless otherwise specified. Yes, we will say Clue the game from this point on, if it's about <laughs> the game. So, Kelsey, do you want to tell me about the first time you saw Clue? Um, I think I can remember it, but I'm not, honestly not positive. Um, I think... If you can't remember it, invent a situation that sounds like what it should have been like when you good. first saw That's it. That's what I'll do. I know that I was, you know, browsing my neighborhood blockbuster or possibly the movie gallery, depending on whether I was with my mom or my dad that weekend. Um, now, for our younger listeners, a movie 
a movie. Is like a really long Snapchat. Yep. <laughs> Go on. So I was at the video rental store. Generic video rental store. Just trying to find something to watch. Browsing the shelves and I saw a Clue. And I liked the game Clue because I was a dork. And still a dork. <laughs> um, and it was rated PG, so I was allowed to get it. <laughs> and I probably recognized some of the people on it from other things that were probably later than Clue. <laughs> um, but uh, I decided to watch it and I sort of like fell in love with it. And it's just silliness and fun and murder. <laughs> Three things that go together like peanut butter and chocolate and a second different kind of chocolate <laughs> yeah I, I rented movies a lot as a kid and i would just try things basically and i think that's how i found it it was one of those things that i rented multiple times before i was just like i should probably just buy this but i definitely rented it on vhs that's one of those great small like life experiences that's completely gone now yeah <laughs> the idea of like renting a thing over and over again until yeah. you just buy it i guess conceivably you could like someone could rent something from itunes a yeah, of, a you bunch can of times, rent things, but like, and then buy it. But you, that, I don't think it has the same effect. You wouldn't do that because it costs like three dollars to rent something and like ten dollars to buy something. Also, clicking a button multiple times and throwing three dollars into the ether is a much different experience from like forcing your parent to drive you over and over again to walking, blockbuster. Walking for me to the movie gallery from my house because you could walk. Uh, by myself, like it was one of the things well, I could do. Well, good for you, Kelsey. Well, it was one of the things I could do by myself, like my. My parents both worked and I was often home alone, like, so there was this sort of, like, mini shopping, like, center near my old house and I could walk to the movie gallery and get movies by myself. And that's the other thing, like, I was allowed to check it out, like, not that my parents allowed me to watch it, like, the people at the movie gallery let me rent it because I was young. You, you understand what I'm saying. So you were alone a lot. <laughs> that must have been hard for you. Tell me, what was that like? I like being alone. <laughs> okay, well, nothing further to investigate here. <laughs> Did it have a strong impact on you the first time you saw it? The, I think I just really enjoyed it the first time. And then, like, um, I think the first time I watched it, I maybe watched it, like, a couple times and thought it was funny and then just didn't watch it again for a while. And then I remember coming back to it in high school. Um when I think it was probably we were looking for like stuff to watch on Halloween that wasn't scary but was like Halloween themed. Because and you're a movie baby. I'm a movie and baby and I don't movies. like scary movies. Uh -huh. Okay, just want to establish that. I'm not the only person in the world. Um, so I brought this to the table amongst my friends and was like, this movie is great. And then watched it again and remembered how much I loved it and sort of re embraced it. Um, which I think at that point you could like buy stuff online because I know the first time I bought it on DVD, it was I bought it online. And by that time, I had sort of been exposed to the people who were in this in other ways, in other things. I, you know, when I was like eight or whatever, the first time I saw this, I hadn't seen Rocky Horror Picture Show, which... Well, hopefully. Yeah, which Tim Curry is in. And I hadn't seen Young Frankenstein yet, which was one of my first exposures to Madeline Kahn. And there's just a lot of people who, you know, like I knew... Christopher Lloyd from his many and varied 80s roles. <laughs> but like those were movies, the movies that they were in, I didn't see until I was a little bit older than the first time I saw this. And you probably had not seen Martin Mull in his career-defining turn in Sabrina the, the Teenage Witch. <laughs> Sabrina the Teenage yeah. Witch. <laughs> probably not. I, I, I'm sure very iconic to a 
wide range of people. I mean, I did watch Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I think, you know, like I had been exposed to more culture, which made this movie mean more by the time I saw it again in high school. Culture. 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 And then after that, I was just like, everyone I meet, I make watch it. <laughs> it's my 10th kingdom. Including me. Including you. And like 14 of other of our friends. Yep. <laughs> Most of whom had already seen it. Yeah. Um, which makes me proud of the friend group that I've uh, assembled. <laughs> you got a good group of folks there. Kind yeah. Of I remember you tried to get me to watch this for the, for the first time two years ago. Yeah, because I usually do it in my um, Halloween triple feature. But I couldn't come. And so eventually it just came down to, you know, it was an ultimatum. Like, Jason, you can either watch Clue or we can stop being friends. Basically, yeah. And I said, well, I guess I'll. I was like, and then we can talk about it for an hour and we have a podcast. It's fine. Yeah, the, the funny thing is we already had this episode scheduled. Yeah. And I hadn't seen Clue yet. Yeah. So it's like, well, this is coming up soon. I better go ahead and watch Clue. Yeah. People sometimes think we do this uh, the other way around. No. <laughs> a, a lot of our media consumption is just dictated by the schedule we've set for ourselves. <laughs> and that Sarah has set for us as our executive producer. Yes. Um, But yeah, I just it holds a really special place in my heart because I just... There's not a lot of movies that have the same tone. That it does, and it's a tone that I very much enjoy. Um, it's just silly. <laughs> but, it, like, not not in, like, a it's-for-kids way. Does that make sense? It's got a lot of adult themes without, like, the, like, blood and guts and gore and nudity or whatever. Yeah, it's got blackmail, murder, yeah. sex, but yeah. no cusses, yeah. gore, or nudity. Yeah. So, you know, a child wandering through a movie gallery on her own can take it off the shelf and take it home with no eyebrows being raised. Exactly. But it's thrilling because it, it allows you to see those things play out in a movie, which you probably haven't seen before at that mm -hmm. age, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it just, you know, there's a, a little bit of nostalgia, but there's also now like this, you know, I, I think there's just not enough of this type of movie <laughs> in the world. What type uh, of movie is that? Silly movies? I don't know if silly is the right word. Because it is silly. Like, it is silly. But it's like... It's like the right amount of camp and, like, self-awareness that's not... Like, it doesn't feel overly... Like, it doesn't feel like it's trying too hard to be self-aware. But it is. Like, it's somewhat of a parody of a, you know, you know murder mystery genre. And it's still funny and it's, you know, and it's funny in, in a very broad, well, I think it's a very broad way, but like maybe it's not funny to people now. <laughs> Are there other examples of things in similar genres you enjoy? Like murder mysteries to be specific. Um, yeah, Stephanie and I really like murder mystery stuff. Um, Aren't you all watching some sort of British murder mystery show? We're watching show? a Canadian murder mystery show right now. Excuse me. Um, we're watching Murdoch Mysteries right now, which is like a, you know, Poirot-esque. Uh, he's like a sort of pseudo-forensic investigator. He invents a lot of things um, in the Victorian era in Toronto. <laughs> and it's, it's you know, it's the, sort of the same. I like the these sort of like low-budget murder mysteries because it's like, um, you know, there's 
they know what they can get away with, like, period-wise. Because this is also, like, a period piece, technically, because it's made in the 80s, but it's set in the 50s. Right. Um, <laughs> they, 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 they acknowledge that they're in, there are historical constraints, but, like, they don't necessarily have to, like, stick to them. And they know, like, how far they can go with that because it's, like, not too serious. Right. And I enjoyed that. And um, you're watching that right now, and that has 10 seasons, which is great. But we got into that because we watched all of um, Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, which is um, set in 1920s Australia. And it's like a, a flapper is the is the investigator. And it's great. And it only has like three short seasons. And it's so upsetting. <laughs> is Miss Fisher in any way related to Miss Marple? No. Didn't she have some murder mysteries too? She did. We haven't we haven't watched hers. But those are two separate, completely unconnected women. Yes. Who had mysteries to solve. Yes. Murder mysteries murder specifically. Mysteries, yeah. Um, but yeah, I like, I like murder mystery stuff. I think it's fun in like a, it's not like the sort of genre is never super gory and it's more about like how than who or what. (laughs) It's a little bit like a very entertaining logic puzzle. Yeah, exactly. It's like a logic puzzle, but with like characterization. Yeah, and you get really excited when you figure out who it is before the end. Like we were, Steph and I were watching Murdoch Mysteries last night, and we we actually just got to the end. There's only six seasons on Hulu, so we don't know how we're gonna watch the next four seasons. Um, <laughs> and it was a big finale, and I was like, I bet it was this guy, and because it was like a returning character, recurring character from previous episodes, and there'd been no indication that it was him, but at the end of the episode, it was him, and I was just like, yes. <laughs> There's something very satisfying about that. <laughs> yeah, I well, first of all, I imagine there is. I've never, I've never <laughs> known for sure. I uh, hope someday to experience it. But also, I've watched you like guess along with. I'm usually like, very mysteries. bad at it. <laughs> but you guessed like three or four people over the course of the entire story. <laughs> well, we we're watching so, Who Done It. That was. I feel like Who Done It is different though. <laughs> oh, if we get talking about Who Done It, I'm gonna get so confused. Oh yeah, let's not. <laughs> because well, let's take a little side trip. Now, okay. just so, for a second, step away from the, the discourse for a second. So, Cluedo. Yeah. Uh, there was a Cluedo game show in, what, the 80s? In early 90s, I think. Um, I have it right here. Uh, yes, 1990 to 93. Uh, it was a British game show based on the board game, Clue. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it was basically like someone visited a stately home and had a, a contestant. Yeah. Had to interview a bunch of actors and try to solve yeah. a, mis- a murder mystery that had happened. Yeah, and it was uh, essentially a retread of an earlier British detective show called Who Done It, mm-hmm. which is also the name of a 2013 American reality show <laughs> uh, with a much much inferior premise. Yeah, that we j- just recently watched all the way through. Yeah, so the rabbit the rabbit hole goes so deep. See, on I this think stuff. the difference between American Who Done It and like this is that I think. This is a game show, so you're probably encouraged to play along, like, because we know as much as the the contestant, as it were. Whereas, Who Done It, American Who Done It, is a reality show, and they're definitely hiding things from us. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, honestly, this this sounds like a much more interesting show than the American Who Done It. Yeah, which tries to be both a murder mystery show, and that's honestly the most entertaining part of it. Yeah, when they have to run on solving, you know, parlor mystery clues, basically, yeah. but it splits that with. Like just reality show bullshit. Yeah. Like I mean, disappointingly, no one on Who Done It hooks up. Yeah. Uh, American Who Done It. I mean, I don't know about British Who Done It. Mm. You never know. <laughs> but they have alliances and that sort of stuff. And yeah. It's very. Uh, yeah. 
But that's a whole another episode. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> Just kidding. No ding sound effect. We will not be doing an episode, episode. about who done it. Let's not. Uh, <laughs> the American one. Maybe the British one's really good. We'll see. <laughs> anyway, pulling back to our actual subject. Clue. The movie. Yeah, I'm in the middle of reading, uh, as I think you probably are. Um, no, I'm not okay. Not I yet. haven't started it yet. <laughs> but book, club, book club's gonna be pretty awkward. <laughs> um, no, I'm gonna. I'm reading Murder on the Orient Express. <laughs> And I get it. It's I don't read a lot of those books. I don't consume a lot of uh, detective stories. Mm-hmm. I would say um, I, if there if there is a spectrum, and on one end is cozy mysteries, mm-hmm. and the other end is hard boiled detective stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not a very wide spectrum, but it is a spectrum. Yeah. I would say I'm a little bit more on the hard boiled detective side yeah. of things. Whereas, would you say you're more on the on the cozy mysteries? Definitely side? on the more the cozy mystery side. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Just yeah. the detective fiction I enjoy is not so much about solving mysteries as it is about seeing some poor guy in a hat get beaten half to death, creating a mood in the rain <laughs> as, as a single beam of moonlight falls on his broken face. Um, I think. Oh, I had a thought. It's gone. Oh no, Kelsey's first and only thought <laughs> lost to the sands of time. One of the things that I love is I've seen Clue a lot of times now. Like, I watch it at least twice a year, probably. Um, maybe more. <laughs> it's kind of like a comfort food thing for me. Like, I watch it when I'm sick. Like I said, it's my 10th kingdom. Right. If we're drawing a canonical parallel. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen it so many times, and I know, like, all of the, there's three different endings. I know all the different endings, and I always try to figure out who's not when, you know, he's... Tim Curry's character Wadsworth is explaining this person wasn't there and I'm always trying to see if that person actually wasn't there and I never remember because I get so like I never am able to do it because they don't have the right shots or they don't like you know they never show everyone who's in the room and I just or I get too swept up in the story and I like that (laughs) before we go too much further might be helpful to basically explain what the plot of the movie is possibly it's not it's not super complex no though it's more complex than than maybe is necessary (laughs) Well, yeah. So, you can help me out, Kelsey. Would you like me to do a brief summary? Uh, yes, if you would not mind. If you would help me out by just doing the whole thing. So, New England, 1954. Okay, maybe. <laughs> I feel like we're really zooming in on some details here. So we could speak a little bit more broadly. Um, so, basically, six strangers are invited to a uh, dinner uh, at a big house in New England. In the 50s. Um, but what year exactly is it, Kelsey? 1954. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, and they are told in these invitations that they will be addressed by an alias, um, which is our, you know, our six Clue characters. From Clue the Game. From Clue the Game. Um, now, it actually might be helpful now to stop this summary and briefly summarize the rules of the game Clue. <laughs> Seriously? No. Okay. <laughs> but I think most everyone listening yeah. knows that the Clue the Board Game has six characters yeah. that you play as. Professor Plum, Mrs. Peacock, Miss Scarlet, Colonel Mustard, Mrs. White, and Mr. Green. Mm-hmm. Or, well, there's a lot of alternate names. If you pull up the Wikipedia page for the Clue characters... It's intense. It's, there's so <laughs> many variations like on e- in each version and yeah. like the different medias. Anyway, we're going to stick with the American versions for now just yeah. to keep this um, from I actually think there's a new control. character in the most recent American version... But um, wow, they used all the colors already. It's just, I don't know. Um, Roy G. Biv. There's no orange. Anyway, <laughs> um, so they're invited to this house, and that said there will be a financial matter that will be resolved. Um, long story short, 
too late. <laughs> Sorry, that's a running gag in the movie. <laughs> um, they are all being blackmailed, and their blackmailer has called them there to confront them, or so it seems. Um, uh, with them also are um, Wadsworth, the butler, Yvette, the maid, um, the cook, and Mr. Body, who is the blackmailer. Um, Mr. Body presents them with the weapons. The iconic weapons from the iconic The iconic weapons Clue. from the Clue game. And um, turns off the lights and says if they kill Wadsworth, no one has to be any the wiser about all of their indiscretions that they're being blackmailed about. But Wadsworth is portrayed by Tim Curry. So we know so Wadsworth's not going to die. <laughs> we don't want him to die. It's Tim Curry. <laughs> so he turns off the lights and uh, then the lights turn back on and Mr. Body is dead. So, you know, what ensues is them trying to find out who killed Mr. Body amongst them. Uh, several other murders take place <laughs> in the time that passes. The whole movie is is a sort of bottle episode. It all takes place in real time. Because Wadsworth has been is concocted this whole scheme, it seems, so in the beginning anyway, yeah. to try to get them to confront Mr. Body mm-hmm. and out him as a blackmailer so that he's already called the police. Yeah. So they're, they're incoming. Yeah, so they have 45 minutes once Mr. Body is dead until the police arrive and they have to figure out who did it so they can, you know, that sort of thing. And then several other people die. Um, It all ends in a great reveal or three different reveals because there's three different endings. The movie has three different endings. Originally, it was shipped out with to theaters with one of each three of the endings randomly attached to each print. Mm -hmm. Although I get the impression from what I've read that maybe it was... It's been over-exaggerated how much that was done. Yeah. Like. It also didn't really make any money, so. Like, like what's true. So no, no one saw it, so no one can really say for sure. Yeah. But I think by the time it was even, like, in on second runs, like, yeah. in they college campuses, it was already it was already had all three endings, which yeah. is better anyway. Yeah. No, I like, because it's like, it could have happened like this, or it could have happened like this, but this is what really happened. Also, only the final ending is actually satisfying. Yeah. Only the, the final two, ending is actually the satisfying. The first two are an awful ways to end a movie. Yeah. Um, which is why, like, you will need all three of them. Yeah. Um, but I like all three of them because, like, they all logically make sense. Like, they all could have happened. Although the conceit doesn't really, really make sense, actually. Because it's not as if the Clue the game, like, has multiple endings. Yeah. Like, each game of Clue... Has one ending. Has one ending that's, that's predetermined before the game even begins. Yeah. I mean, I think the idea is that, like, it's supposed to sort of echo the idea that, you know... Every time you play a game of Clue, the the killer is different. I guess so. Yeah. And as we all know, you buy a, a game of Clue and you play it three times. That's it. And then never again. Anyway. And, and in one game of Clue, somehow there are six or seven cards in that one envelope at the end. Oh, in the in the, in the final game? I mean, well, there's also six victims. There's only one victim in Clue. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Anyway, I feel like I did an okay job summarizing. You did very good. You did a good job summarizing the... Uh, as I said, I think much too busy plot. There's a lot of business in there about why each of these people has a reason to want to kill Mr. Body, mm-hmm. which I, is necessary, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of stuff in there about the political climate of 1954. Not just New England, but across the country. <laughs> across the world. <laughs> across the world. It's, a, it's, it's The Red Scare is a major plot element. But communism's just a red herring. Oh, like in the movie. Like in the movie. Yes, thank you. But they spend a lot of time on this red herring. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's part of the whole, like, murder mystery conceit is that we're supposed to think it has to do with communism, and it doesn't. Right. <laughs> and, uh, that is sort of 
you know, I don't want to cut you off saying nice things about this lovely little movie. Yeah, but we are, we are just drawing close to the point where I have to bring up my major conflict with the movie. Go ahead. Which is that I don't think it satisfies as a comedy or as a murder mystery entirely. Well, we'll have to agree to disagree on that. Uh, well, it's been nice talking to you, Kelsey. <laughs> uh, don't forget to rate why, and review. Why? Why? What are your reasons? <laughs> so starting with the three ending conceit, yeah. that immediately undermines any sense of it being a satisfying murder mystery. Do you think it, if it was just the final ending, it would be... Good. Well, okay, so if it was all three endings. Yeah. So so each if the fact that there's three endings mm-hmm. and each of them makes sense mm-hmm. means that the movie doesn't play fair. Right. Because if all those things are true, then we couldn't have been given enough clues to solve all of them because they are contradictory. You are right. Um, so that right there, because the ending is really, it's not all that matters in a murder mystery, but it's, if you don't stick that the right way, mm-hmm. it devalues what came before mm-hmm. in a way that's not always true of other genres. But that wouldn't be a problem because Clue is also a comedy. But it, for me, never really gets cooking that well. Like, it, it seems like it's set up to deliver a lot of high comedy situations, but it never really quite reaches the level of farce that I was hoping it would. And I say that, I, when we watch this, I enjoy myself. I laughed out loud many a time. You heard me, Kelsey. Yeah. I have an unmistakable laugh. <laughs> it starts very loud and gets sort of choked <laughs> at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So I, la- I was laughing. Yeah. But, I mean, the things I laughed the hardest at were mostly business with Madeline Kahn. Yeah. Like, there's a moment where, everyone's, just amazing. where everyone's yelling about something and they all calm down and someone turns to, to uh, Mrs. White and says something else and she just lets out this tiny little scream. And she's <laughs> a, it's a very amusing moment. And it's the point where, um, at the end, when, when Tim Curry as Wadsworth is running around the, the mansion, yeah. laying out the... Uh, basically just explaining the plot of the movie that we've just seen yeah. again. Yeah, I mean, he's doing, like, the big, like, the big um, detective reveal. Yeah, but it's... It, I wanted that to be more madcap than it was. Anyway, he's leading her up the stairs and he just sort of has her by the hand. And he lets go and she just, she just falls forward <laughs> on her face on the stairs. But he and the camera both keep moving upwards. <laughs> like stuff like that is, is very funny. But yeah. all the, I don't want to say all, but a lot of the humor that I responded to and a lot of the humor in the movie, yeah. I feel like is not I, um, baked into the actual I think story. The, it just sort of is moments that pop up and sort I of I think the performances are funny, but the writing necessarily isn't necessarily like inherently funny. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, and I think funny performances are, they are good performances. They're all very yeah. funny. That's the sort of thing you don't really appreciate in a comedy. Well, you I mean you do, but you know, yeah. but like you don't really come to really love that until you're on a rewatch of a movie yeah so obviously for you that maybe sticks out more than it did to me on my first viewing well and i also think that this you know like i don't disagree with you i think i think it's a very specific brand of humor and i find it funny and i don't really know what it is i can't really explain it but plenty of other people also find it funny so um but i think well then i think it could be even funnier you know like if these actors were given a little more license to improv or you know contribute because there was very you you were doing some research yeah. um we do. there was very little ad-libbing and i think most of the ad-libbing is probably in like the physical comedy which i think are the strongest parts to my understanding there's one bit of improvisation just one thing that deviates from the script which is mm-hmm. mrs white's infamous flames on the side of my face flames thing the side of my face heaving <laughs> which is again very funny and i'd seen that yeah in you know clip it's form one of the more memorable parts of form, the movie yeah in, in many years before i saw this movie and yeah. i think this is the problem with like my expectations were not 
he'd probably this movie. Yeah, that's I fair. expected A, you know, based on what you and not just you, many other people have yeah. like sort of recommended this movie to me. Mm-hmm. But also just I was expecting a lot of that. Yeah. I was I, expecting more comedy in I don't know what exactly I could classify as that vein of comedy, mm-hmm. but that's sort of like over the top again. I don't want to lean on the word farcical too much because flames inside of my face isn't really a farcical moment, no, but I, it's, a, it's a sort of like big, like funny character thing I was expecting more of. From I don't this know. Movie. I feel, like, I feel like the movie is pretty farcical. Like, I feel like there are so many moments that are just like so crazy. And, and you know, the various times when like we cut from Wadsworth to like all six of them and they all say something together, like the part, those parts always make me laugh and I don't know why. And that's just such a weird thing. And, you know, when um Mr. Green slaps Miss Peacock <laughs> and she's like, I had to stop her from screaming. And like it's just there's so many like big things, physical and and you know, somewhat dialogue things that would never happen like in a real situation, but like do happen in this movie and make me chuckle. And I think a lot of the like um sort of staging of it in the shots like the the parts when they split up to search the house and you get like Yvette and Mr. Green trying to go up the stairs and like I find that funny like I think I think there's a good a good bit of like performance comedy that makes its way through but I I do think maybe that this also is something that gets funnier with the number of times you watch it it's kind of it's a little bit British in a way but maybe it's just Tim Curry (laughs) I think I think Tim Curry's performance is the thing that I always come back to um, and he's just with so many other great comedic people, and they're all, you know, equally good in their roles. It's okay that you didn't enjoy it as much as I do, but I still think it's very good. I did enjoy it. Like, yeah. I, I laughed, you know. You did laugh. I laughed. I laughed. We had a joyous time. We did have a joyous time. I I'm, I mean, and there's, I guess to your point, there is, when they're hiding the bodies from the cop, <laughs> there's some moments that are pretty outlandish yeah so i always say almost humorous and <laughs> how ridiculous they are yeah but then there's other moments which you can i laughed at like when they're all it's in the middle of them just trying to solve this murder case mm-hmm. there's a lot more of that than i expected i think the, they're, they're actually trying to figure out who like what happened who did it yeah <laughs> i mean and i guess that's the what the I, I premise think... is but there's they're, they're doing that and then they're all they all just run into each other and they all fall down <laughs> that is funny that's not really built into the comedy of the situation like a, from my understanding, a, a farce has to like build and build and build, and sort of like based on the situations that the characters find themselves in, and this doesn't really. It reaches what I think is supposed to be the fevered farcical pitch at the end when Tim Curry's sort of running around explaining the movie to us, and he and he's very charming in that moment. But at the same time, I couldn't help but think that I would have enjoyed that more if it was happening in front of me. Like if it were a play. Yeah. And I, and I verbalized that, you know, in my infinite wisdom to Sarah earlier this week. Yeah. And she said, well, if it was a play, it would just be the mousetrap with jokes. Yep. Which I had to say, was it's true. Yeah. <laughs> I thought about it and I thought, you know what? I think I would like that. <laughs> the mousetrap with jokes? Yeah. And I think the thing I like about this, this sort of tone of this movie is like it's it's part like farce and, and parody and, and, and comedy, but it's also sort of really... Like, it has a lot of genuine love for the thing that it's making fun of. And, in, in like, like, it still wants to be good at that. Does that make sense? Yes. And I, I respect that. Yeah. I just think that they split the difference in a way that didn't really win me over. Yeah. 
And I think I think um, I I really enjoy that. And I think there are films that do that better, but um, not necessarily with this this specific genre, but like are making fun of a thing, but also really love the thing. (laughs) Um, But um, I, I really enjoy this. And I think, you know, there's there's a nostalgic place for it. There's you know, I I just really enjoy this specific brand of comedy. Do you think there's any chance this might be the Ghostbusters effect? What do you mean? Um, I'm realizing as I say that now that the Ghostbusters effect is a terrible name for what I'm about to describe because the Ghostbusters effect could mean one of many, many things. Yeah, it depends on which Ghostbusters you're referring to. Well, I'll get to that. (laughs) What I'm specifically talking about is the fact that if you know someone who grew up watching the Ghostbusters, the original film, Mm -hmm. Ghostbusters on VHS or Mm -hmm. TV or whatever, if they came to it as a child and like grew to love it that way, these people love the movie Ghostbusters. Sometimes, as we saw last year in a not-so-constructive way. But but also people like, you know, those, those people are largely misinformed and a little bit toxic. There's also people who are just, you know, genuine, like, film people, like people whose opinion I really respect, mm-hmm. think Ghostbusters is great and is, like, a shining example of a mix of... The first Ghostbusters. Of, the first Ghostbusters is a mix of horror and comedy unparalleled. A, a, a shining beacon of light in cinema i don't like the first ghostbusters very much when did you watch it for the first time i was like i was in college i think yeah same here yeah i watched it in college i kind of liked it but then i rewatched it even like a few years ago Mm -hmm. and it really doesn't work for me Mm -hmm. like there's yeah now last year's ghostbusters i was for it here's the thing i think i think both they're uh, both not great I think they're both good in exact. They're both good and bad in exactly the same way. Both yeah, have, there is a great remake. <laughs> both, both have plots that are pretty much, you know, nonsensical or non-important or mm-hmm. just you know completely lackluster. Mm-hmm. And but both have a, like a, several really charming actors just sort of doing their thing, and they're fun to watch for that reason. Yeah. Now I'm trying to figure out if the Ghostbusters effect is like I like this thing growing up, so I'm very attached to it, and that, or if the Ghostbusters effect is. Several really charming actors doing their thing. <laughs> I mean, it might be interrelated. But I think the idea that I'm going to get here is just, you know, not even just nostalgia. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, we all have things that we're nostalgic for that we can also you know, usually divorce ourselves from, from the reality like, of it's like, not a good like, thing. I'm, I'm very nostalgic about the TV series, The uh, Big Bad Beetleborgs. I, okay. would not, I would not care to revisit it. <laughs> I do not think it will withstand the critical eye of uh, Jason in 2017. Uh, but people like with Ghostbusters, and I think you with this movie, you really think it's good in a way that I just can't get. Like, I mean, I really like I don't see it, and I don't think I ever can. I guess that's fair. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm trying not to say that you're wrong here, because I think because it's it's obviously it's you know, it's a film. It's you know. It's very subjective enjoyment of it. Well, yeah, and I don't it, think it, I'm it, unable to see its flaws, but that doesn't stop me from enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's just a really roundabout way of saying that some things you just can't enjoy unless you see them as a child. I think that that's definitely true. Like, there's definitely things that you have to see before a certain age to enjoy them the way that other people enjoy them. Yeah, and it's not, and I don't mean like just children's entertainment, obviously. No, I mean just like, like Jurassic Park I saw for the first time in 2012. Haven't seen it. Uh, it's... It's fine. The problem with Jurassic Park is just that people make a... Well, there's two problems. Problem number one, people make this big deal about how great the special effects are and how they, you know, even the CGI holds up perfectly, which mm-hmm. is, is more or less true. But the first CGI you see is, is 
god awful. Mm-hmm. It's broad daylight. This bunch of big tall uh, dinosaurs whose names I don't know. Sorry, Daniel, <laughs> stomping around. It looks it looks god awful because it's like thirty years old. Yeah. The second problem is that they sideline Jeff Goldblum's character halfway through the movie, and he doesn't have anything to do. But he's Jeff Goldblum. I know he's the thing people like about that movie, and he's not in half of it. Well, that's that a, that's, is unfortunate. That's a problem for me. Yeah. You've seen this now. I won't make you watch it again if you don't want to. I might make other people watch it in your presence, but you don't have to participate. <laughs> this feels like a situation in which I would have to be somewhat present. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't just turn my back to the TV screen and sit there for 97 minutes. Anyway. I'll say this. It goes down easy. Yeah. I would I would certainly sit through it again. It's short. It's, it's pretty short. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned you sort of spoke uh, uh, offhandedly a second ago yeah. about who you would cast in Clue the movie, and yet Clue the movie has already been made. But were they to make it again to say remake it? Which they have, like the rights have been, it's in development limbo. It's one of those things, right? Right now. It's been tossed around for years and years. I I don't know who has it right now, but it's been tossed around multiple times. Who's going to remake it? Because it's a cult classic, so we got to remake it. (laughs) Got to squeeze the money out of that stone. And I like every now and then I think about who would be good in it. Every now and then as you're staring out the window and a light rain patters against the glass and you stare off at the New York City skyline and the riff from Baker Street plays in your head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, okay, so let's let's run this down. Okay. Who is your current lineup? I, your, your 2017 Clue, Clue remake, remake lineup. Dreamcast. Um, I don't have all of them, but I have a good number of them. Well, we were watching it and you're like, we, we were watching the movie and you wanted to cast James Urbaniak as Mr. Green. Because you, you posed this question during the movie and the yes. only thing I could think to say was James Urbaniak as, as uh, Mr. Green. Which I like, but yeah, Richard Iwati is probably my pick currently, mostly because I just want to see Richard Iwati in more things and I think he'd be fun in this. Right, and unlike James Urbaniak, he's a bank, bankable movie star. He was in uh, The Watch. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um... And I think he has the kind of humor that people who liked the original version of this appreciate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Colonel Mustard, Nick Offerman. Strong choice. Strong choice, I think. Although Colonel Mustard in this movie is a little bit more bumbling and, well, Martin like, Mullish. I feel like Nick Offerman could do bumbling. We don't um, see it a lot from him. I'm sure he could, but that's just not his, really screen, his screen presence do at this point in time. Do you have any ideas? <laughs> Colonel Mustard, uh, Nick Offerman, uh, I don't know, like like a James Corden figure. Yeah. Like sort of like a like a like a. You know, James Corden's really good at bumbling. A little, he's a little bit too like his persona is a little bit too likable. Yeah. Colonel Mustard's not really a likable character. No, he's he's sort of slimy, but he's sort of affable in a way. Yeah. I think I think Nick Offerman is a little bit too off-puttingly severe. But I can't, I, sorry, I can't think of a replacement. So Nick Offerman, it is. Okay. Um, I didn't have any big Professor Plum, but now I'm thinking about Jeff Goldblum, and I feel like that would be pretty fun. <laughs> I feel like he's the wrong age, though, because this is kind of a younger Christopher Lloyd. How old is, how old is Jeff Goldblum now? Well, okay, Christopher Lloyd is now 78. Yeah. So in 1985, um, So in he this, was, he would have been... In his 40s. Okay, Jeff Goldblum is now 64. Oh, he's a little old. Wow, good for you, Jeff Goldblum. I think he could do it, though. Wow. I don't he's feel only, like he looks 64. He's only 14 years younger than uh, Christopher Lloyd. Shit. <laughs> I mean, we get that mixed up because Christopher Lloyd played an old, old, old man. Yeah, like in, he, play, uh, he played way older than he was. Because, like, Back to the Future came out in 1985, too. Yeah. And oh, he, wow. he played both of these characters the same year. 
That's true, because when we pop up on the screen, you're like, oh, it's young Christopher Lloyd, but it's not. No, it's, it's just Christopher normal Lloyd without, Christopher Lloyd. It's normal as Christopher Lloyd. The same way Max von Sydow played, uh, uh, um, uh, oh, God. The, in, in The Exorcist. Reverend Mer- Merrick? That sounds right. Shit, I can't think of the name. That's going to fuck me up forever. I don't know. But he had a lot of, he had a lot of old age makeup, so he's yeah. like, in my mind, uh, Max von Sydow is about 180 years old. Yeah. <laughs> Miss Peacock. Uh, Kate McKinnon. Obviously, obviously. Yeah, I also think Kirsten Dunst would be interesting, not only because I love her. <laughs> okay, this is a pretty standard Kelsey response is, who should we put in this movie? Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst? Yeah. But if we can get her like in a time machine from the early 2000s and put her in? Well, I feel like she a lot of the movies she did in the early 2000s have a similar tone to this movie. Um, But also, like, think about her in Fargo. I feel like she could be good in this part. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not crazy. Because the character in Fargo is kind of dumb. Like a little bit and ev- dumb. And everyone in this movie is a little bit dumb. Everyone in this movie is a little bit dumb. <laughs> Except Tim Curry. <laughs> he's, he's a little bit dumb he's too. He's a little bit dumb. They... <laughs> and then um, Miss White, Constance Wu from Fresh Off the Boat. Love it. Love I it. I love that. I don't have anybody else right now. Miss Scarlet's hard because like. You need an- you need another uh, fake ass Susan Sarandon. Fake ass Susan Sarandon. <laughs> How about like, I don't know, like a Christian Shawl? not really the same persona but i like christian shaw a lot i like christian shaw a lot too christian shaw could be the singing telegram girl i want to see her play miss scarlet i mean i think she could do i want to be i want to be the the glammed up christian shaw could definitely do it yeah and like for wadsworth is hard because how do you replace tim curry that's the toughest one of all it's really hard well well you know what i know just what to do let's uh let's just take a little trip down the internet rabbit hole oh gosh and find out uh who the Fine folks at the Fox Television Network decided to replace him as in their production of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Wasn't it Laverne Cox? Well, there you go. Laverne Cox. I mean, as... I, I like Laverne Cox. I don't know if she could do the the physical, like the very man- manic bit at the end. Okay. Well, how about this? Uh, uh, Alexander Skarsgård. Sure, why not? No. <laughs> I think it was Laverne Cox. Was it Laverne Cox? It was Laverne Cox, yeah. yeah. Alexander Skarsgård played uh, Pennywise in the most recent uh, oh, version of It. I did not realize that. Yeah. I just that I don't know if either of those is really the right feel. Has anyone else played a uh, played a Tim Curry character? Hold on. We can we can certainly <laughs> we do can this. We can definitely figure this There's out. There's got to be one more. <laughs> um maybe not. Okay, he who did he play when he did the movie of Annie? Well, he played, he played uh, Rooster. Rooster. Who else has played the role of Rooster? We can do this, Kelsey. Alan Cumming. Alan. Ugh. Alan Cumming played him. Oh no! Uh, forget I even mentioned it. Well, but what do you? What is Tim Curry? This is actually a good question just for the podcast in general, <laughs> not just us dicking around on the uh, <laughs> on our mics. What is Tim Curry's thing? Like, I don't know. What makes him so magnetic and and beloved? I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of it is just him being. The star of Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is such a huge thing well, for, for me, like, so that many people. Wasn't the first thing I saw him in. Like this is Tim Curry for me, and that is probably why I believe that this is Tim Curry's like best work, because <laughs> this is this is the thing that I associate him with. I mean, he's great in Rocky Horror, but it's not my favorite thing that he's done. It's no Nigel Thornberry. <laughs> no. What is what's Tim Curry's best role? If it's not this. And it's not Nigel Thornberry on the TV show The Wild Thornberries. <laughs> then it's probably 
the music video from The Worst Witch. <laughs> Which we watched where after. He, where he dances in front of a green screen and sings a song about Halloween. That was great. Uh, if we if I remember to do it, we should put that in the show notes because that is worth a watch. It's definitely worth a watch. Anything could happen on Halloween. Peak Tim Curry. It feels peak Tim Curry. It also makes you think that Tim Curry can't sing, which is strange. Because he can. I think he just... I don't know what it is. It's it's. I can't put it into words. It's too. It's, it's too, too beautiful to, to it's describe. Too much. Uh, or maybe his there was his work, uh, his voice work, on Disney's extraterrestrial alien encounter. You mean the scariest thing on the face of the, the scary earth? shit ever? Yeah. That like I think like my heart stopped when I. Oh god. So for our younger listeners, <laughs> uh, the extraterrestrial alien encounter uh, was a ride. ride at, in the Tomorrowland section of uh, the Magic Kingdom, wherein you basically went into a big old operating theater sort of setup. Yeah. And there was a giant alien, like a scary, not a Disney alien, like, like a like scary an alien, alien from Alien, like an like an, like, mm-hmm. a, like like a xenomorphs alien. Yeah. But like crossed with like the actual devil <laughs> inside a giant tube, and it was. Uh, and all the lights went off. And all the lights went off, and they came back on, and the thing was on the tube anymore. It was one of those like you know immersive 4D theater like 4D, like sound like the aliens are breathing is right next to you it moves around and touches your arm or whatever. But if you're eight, that's fucking scary. Yeah, because that's who's seeing this shit. But they had to close it because it was too scary. They closed it in three out of three because it was too scary and placed it with a thing uh, where Stitch Stitch gets from out. Stitch gets out and that's scary in its own way because Stitch <laughs> is a is a you know a good creature of uh, chaos. He's an agent of uh, destruction and mayhem. Yeah, Alien Encounter was like. I remember going on it as a child and just being freaked the fuck out. I, oh man, I feel like we could spend a whole hour just talking about this and not get anywhere further. <laughs> just because we both be saying how fucking scary it was over and over again. Anyway, so Clue. So that's Tim Carey's best work is as the <laughs> robot T-O-M, or sorry, S-I-R, who sp- speaks to you right before you go inside the uh, the room. Uh, just going through the notes real quick. Mm-hmm. I tried to make a list of, I thought it would be a fun topic of conversation to cover other movies that have been based on board games. Yeah. Uh, There's there not very many. many. There's like, Which I think is surprising. There's like three-ish. There's mm. Battleship. Right. Which I honestly, I remembered Battleship and for some reason that in my mind was like, oh, there was a whole, you know, slate of uh, board game adaptations a few years ago. Just just Battleship. Just, battleship. just the one. <laughs> Ouija? Uh, Ouija, kind of. Does that count as a board game? Uh, I mean, it's either... It's a well, game that has a board involved. Well, it's either a board game or you think it's real. And it actually can be used to communicate with the spirits of the dead. And then Dungeons and Dragons, the Not movie. Not a board game. A thing that... It's as much of a board game as... as Ouija? As, uh, as Ouija. <laughs> I suppose, Well, it's yeah. more of a board game. I don't know. Dungeons and Dragons is a board game. It's like Clue, but with more rules. <laughs> I guess. And no, and no uh, uh, particular stated objective. The point is, there actually hasn't been that many. So everyone who's out here, you know, raising the so, red flag, trying to you know, cause a fuss about how many there's too many adaptations in Hollywood and there's no properties being exploited, there's a ton of board games so that can be made into movies. What board games would you make into movies? Okay, first of all, Uno. Okay, second make that all, story for me, sec- bro. Second, <laughs> Uno Attack. That's the one with the button in it. Yes, and it, it shoots cards at you. <laughs> So what? Uno is about a magic deck of cards, and if you get the last one, you die or something. Okay. The Uno attacks is the same thing, but it's a robot. Okay. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I'm really surprised that One Night Werewolf hasn't been made into a show or a game or an or a show or a movie or anything, because it feels ripe for that. I agree, because One Night Werewolf was a game of deception. 
It's got a stock of characters in it and a yeah. werewolf. People love werewolves. People love werewolves. I will say that that's maybe not a big enough brand name. So we should stick with, I think, like big like household names like Monopoly. Monopoly. Measures the big short. <laughs> basically, pretty much, yeah. They've already made a Monopoly uh, game. Good joke, Kelsey. Thanks. Good one. That's a good one. Thanks. <laughs> Sorry. So, okay. Boggle. Okay, no, what, what is the storyline of Sorry? Okay, I have to remember what the concept of Sorry is when you play it. That's... Okay. It's actually it's actually a pretty boring game when you get right down to it. What's okay. the concept of Boggle? <laughs> That's got to be a sci-fi game, right? That's definitely a like sci-fi. Like all, all those number, all those letters bouncing around that big glass tube. It's like probably like a lottery thing, yes. and everyone is like, if your name comes up, you yeah, get sent into the. You get boggled. You get boggled. <laughs> Oof. I don't know what that is. It doesn't sound pleasant. It does not sound pleasant. So my point being, if they remake Clue. They should actually just make the uh, that. Um, uh, hold on, I have it. We, we just we were just talking about it. By the way, do not do not go onto the Clue Wikipedia page. You will lose hours of your life. Kill Doctor Lucky. Yeah, it's a prequel. Which was a well, it was more of a parody than a prequel. But it oh, happens before. I'm sorry. This is what you were talking about. Yes. So just <laughs> according to the Kill Doctor Lucky Wikipedia page. Uh, Clue begins after the murder has been committed and the players compete to solve it. Kill Dr. Lucky ends with the murder and the players compete to commit it. So clearly. Because you couldn't really make like a prequel prequel. Unless it was just about like how Mr. Body blackmailed all of them. I don't think that would be very good. (laughs) (laughs) So it would have to be like. I think it would probably be like Hill House, like the house that it takes place in. But like in like the Victorian era. Or something oh, like that. Like it would be the a, same setting. A deep prequel. A deep prequel. The same yes. setting, but a different set of characters. With the same, because they're all aliases, so it would be like the same aliases. Um, because no one is using the real name in the conceit of Clue. Right. So it would just be like these aliases that the house provides. Or it could be set in the far future. Or in the far future. And you don't know who was this, and it's got the, like the descendants of the original characters. Yeah. But you don't know who's who because they're all using code names. Yeah. That could um, be something. But why yeah. are they all together? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Revenge, I guess, because someone. Someone's gonna die. Who's getting revenge? Are they are they all uh, Mr. Green's kids? <laughs> and like, there's one like like no, Wadsworth's Mr. Green's kid son? is the one. They all have lured Mr. Green's descendant there. And they're trying to murder him. They're trying to murder him. So it's all about him trying to avoid getting murdered. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, now, this, now we're on fire. Okay. Okay. So it's like, are all other are the are the five other or six other whatever characters are they all different descendants of of the uh, people that he took took to jail? I guess. Yeah. That that could work, right? That could work. I mean, they don't canonically have, I think, kids. No. They don't all have kids anyway. No. But they could. They could. We could we could retcon that sure whatever yeah why not and they're all trying to murder him he has yeah stum- I think you could either do like a, a future sequel where there's or like a deep prequel where it's like the same setting but different characters I well I, I think now we're just, we're building a trilogy here we're building a franchise Ooh. I mean just imagine him like stumbling around in the dark while people like try to kill him with like a a, a candlestick <laughs> or a pistol <laughs> it's very wacky because they, they end wacky. up turning on each other yes and they kill each other off one by one yes until it's just him and I guess. Some uh, other the butler, probably. Probably the butler. I don't know, or Miss Scarlet. The butler did it. Yeah, it, it, it means <laughs> it's, it's like it's like a slash movie in reverse. Yeah. Where there, it starts off with their six villains and they get picked off one by one. <laughs> Love it. I, I think this has legs. <laughs> I think we could probably do this one. Sounds good. Let's say you know it's a few like not their kids but their grandkids. 
Okay. So we're two generations removed. Hill House is now a hotel. Okay. Um, a historic hotel. An historic hotel. That says they have air conditioning because they have it in the dining area, but they don't have it in the actual rooms, but they can legally say they have air conditioning. It's a total ripoff. Is that what happened when you went to the Stanley Hotel? I don't want to name any names. <laughs> um, don't stay at the Stanley Hotel. And our, our heroes, quote unquote, have all been lured there um, under the pretense of revenge against like there's like you will be given the opportunity to avenge your ancestors <laughs> i was thinking it was more of a complete reversal and they, they've all worked together to lure this one guy here oh. so they're all in on it at the beginning maybe that okay and their conspiracy falls apart as as hijinks and my idea was that tim curry was like the concierge or something yeah I mean, maybe, maybe we don't need to work him in yeah we can work him into the prequel yeah the prequel series yes that's right series series straight to netflix yes eight episodes I mean, the prequel series would just be everyone's backstories, wouldn't it? <laughs> I don't, because well, like... You, it'd be, it'd be, no, it'd be, yeah, it'd be eight episodes, one for each character. You could be, well, I, I assume it'd be like a, a uh, Dear White People style thing, where each, each episode follows a different character. Yeah. But it's, it's about but all But it's them. all, like, happening in linear progression. Yeah, and so it's, well, that's actually, but it's like, it's still like a murder mystery, like the original movie, but it's just set in, like, Victorian times. Okay, yeah. This could be kind of good, actually. Actually, this sounds pretty good. Okay. <laughs> Uh, hashtag bring back Clue, I guess. <laughs> hashtag. We're also trying to bring back Debs. I still want to bring back Debs. Uh, we're trying to bring back Tenth Kingdom. Eleventh Kingdom. Uh, yeah, mm. yeah, I feel like we we don't have we don't we're not a podcast with a ton of reach. No. But I feel like if we just keep <laughs> we keep proposing pitching, things, keep pitching revival campaigns. Eventually, one's gonna stick, right? Yeah, one has to stick. They're reviving everything. Law surely. of averages, you know. Yeah, actually, no. The that that prequel series actually sounds. I'd watch that. Yeah. Do you? Uh, so we've sort of wandered off the path here a little bit. We did. But we had some good times, you know. We did have some good times. Uh, I guess I usually ask this at some point, but what's your least favorite part of Clue? That's a tough question. Is there anything in it you don't love? I mean, there's definitely parts I don't love. Like, there's like problematic parts of it, but I feel like they're played with so much comedy that they're they feel like that they're sort of being satirized. So I feel like there's definitely things that if I could replace one of them, I'd be like, oh, that's maybe not. <laughs> um, I don't like that the cook doesn't really get to be a character at all until she's murdered. Because even like the singing telegram girl who has like one line feels like she has more of a character. Um, she gets a big laugh yeah. moment, whereas the cook is just like. Yeah. There's also not a ton of diversity in Clue. Is the cook is the only. The cook and the, um, the cop. Okay, so those both people of color. And they both die. Both murdered. The yeah. cop always gets to do something before he gets murdered. Yeah. <laughs> just dies. Yeah. Um, okay, well, what's what's the one thing, and I think I know the answer to this. Uh, I think it rhymes with Jim Curry. <laughs> what is the thing about Clue that brings you the most joy? I mean, I think it is probably just Tim Curry's, like, big, long monologue at the end. I do really love, in I think it's the second ending, when um, the guy at the end, for some reason, I always laugh really hard at this. Um, when Miss Peacock is leaving and she thinks she's getting away with it. Sorry, spoilers. Um, the guy who we think is a Jehovah's Witness just comes out and says, Oh, Miss Peacock, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then everyone's like, freeze, stop where you are. And I don't know why that makes me laugh every time, but it does. And also just Madeline Kahn in everything she does. I just want Tim Curry and Madeline Kahn have really great comedic and, and on-screen chemistry, and I would really would have loved for them to do more stuff together. 
Anyway, I love Clue, and I hope you at least enjoyed it. It did not ruin my life, but I did enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed getting to watch you enjoy something you clearly love. Thank you. So thank you for showing it to me. And then we watched The Room. (laughs) Yeah, The Room's great. (laughs) Not as good as Fateful Findings. Not as good as Fateful Findings. But that's a story. For another day. I would actually have a recommendation this episode. Yes. Mostly because I've just been watching it. Uh, I just finished it today, actually. But I think there's maybe a line to be drawn between the two things, which is the show on Netflix, American Vandal. Oh, yeah. Which, if you've not heard about it, is a uh, mockumentary styled after Serial and uh, Netflix's own Making a Murderer about a crime committed in a school Mm -hmm. in which a a bunch of dicks are (laughs) spray-painted onto the cars in the staff parking lot. (laughs) And a, a... teen a sort of burnout stoner uh widely distrusted teen is blamed for it but claims he's innocent and And it's very compelling it's very it's weirdly compelling and very funny it's very funny it's uh it's sort of for me in a way that i didn't quite get from this from clue the movie it it blends both i think genuinely funny stuff Mm -hmm. with a story that is makes me angry how compelling it is because it just shows like how successful i am to the, the true, true crime. crime tropes yeah that it can happen it can be surrounded the dumbest possible thing yeah. and if it's done right i will still just like i gotta know who did it who drew the dicks i gotta know <laughs> do and you find out uh you are i mean i don't want to spoil anything you you kind think, of you 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 know i think you have a pretty good idea of who it is by the end okay. of the show but uh it's not really about that it's it's sort of it's sort of a you know deconstructs in a way like the way true crime stuff the way it's taken off recently has like can really like mess with people's lives yeah uh, but it's also like it's also like just a good show about high school huh. like it really I read one review that said it captured the feeling of high school better than Thirteen Reasons Why which I am going to choose to believe is true even though I have not seen Thirteen Reasons Why not and never see it. will nope because uh, <laughs> fuck that honestly mm-hmm. yeah oh. Um, but if you just like shows about like high school stuff, it's like a very good example of that as well. So it works on a couple levels. I feel like my high school experience wasn't super universal. So I always have trouble like. Well, this is not about like the tropified, like <laughs> the cool kids and the jocks and the nerds. Like yeah. it's not like that. It's about, it's, it's just, it's very specific in like the, in the way like you like react, even if you were like just sort of a weird outsider in high school, the way you react to just people like in the world, like. Like just the opinion that you you have very strong opinions about what people are doing, even if it doesn't affect you at all. Yeah. And, if, and like there's like and like the certain kinds of teachers, like there's the te- there's like the coach who's also a teacher, mm-hmm. and has that very sort of like weird affability where you kind of like him, but you know he's probably a dick. <laughs> and the one teacher who's kind of young and like wants to connect with the students in a way that's like a little bit over the over the line. So anyway, American Vandal. American Vandal available now on Netflix. Eight episodes. Watch it. Okay. Special thanks to Danny and Bound of the Weeping Willards for use of their song Outside in the Rain from their self-titled album available now on Bandcamp. Special thanks to Carly Sussman for um, designing our logo. You can find her work at carly-rose.com. Rate and review the podcast if you get a chance. Please do it. Um, if you've downloaded the new iOS on your iPhone, you can now rate us in the app. You don't have to go to the iTunes store. You can do it right now. You can do it right there. Do it right now. That simple tap. Do it. Do it now. Do it now. Recommend an episode? 
to a friend if you like. Yeah. If you know your friend is a fan of a thing we've covered, maybe recommend that one to them. Make sure before you do it that it's not going to make them mad. We like, don't want to make people angry. Like say like if your friend loves Peaky Blinders, <laughs> maybe skip the first episode. Maybe skip the first episode regardless. Maybe skip the first couple episodes. I don't remember what the third episode is, but yeah, that sounds right. When was the Dessa episode? That was pretty good. That yeah. may have been our first good episode. Yeah. <laughs> our episodes about music tend to be pretty good, I think. Yeah, yeah, we're good. We're going to see Dessa. Yay! Woo. Save that for the update episode. Okay. Yeah, I think that's it. I guess that's it for, for, for now from uh, Ruin My Life. I'm Jason Edwards. I'm Kelsey Goldman. Wishing you and yours and all of our ships at sea happy clue um clue uh, happy holidays it's halloween oh yeah oh yeah this is our halloween episode i didn't say anything about it happy holidays spooky spooky they wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up Can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up Only I can mention me They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up Can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up only I can mention me Only I can mention me Only I can mention me He did the monster mash The monster mash It was a graveyard smash They did the mash He did the monster mash The monster mash Whatever happened to the Transylvania twist? <laughs> that was okay <laughs>